Well, welcome to Sojourn. We're glad you're here this morning. If this is your first time, as Will said, um, man, we'd love to meet you after the service. So please feel free to come up and say hello to me. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Sojourn. And I uh, would just love to have some time with you to talk with you, get to know you a little bit. So I'll be up here uh, at the front after the service. So please feel free to come up and say hello. Uh, at Sojourn, we preach from God's Word every week. And so if you need a copy of the Bible, just raise your hand and somebody will bring a copy of God's Word around to you this morning uh, so that you can actually read along with us. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. Uh, we have lots of them for that reason because we want people to have God's Word. Not just here on Sunday morning, uh, but throughout the week as well. Uh, so go ahead and keep your hand up until, until they find you. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fun, I think, for all of us, whether we're introverted or extroverted, to hang out with, uh, with close friends. We, we like to spend time with them, just uh, spending time hanging out, whether we're talking about silly things or serious things. Uh, I think, no matter where you're at on kind of that personality spectrum, I think all of us would say, at, at the end of the day, we enjoy those times. We cherish those times. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good just to hang out. It's good to be able to have serious conversations. It's good to be able to talk about just ridiculous things. But there's those circumstances, those times when we, we can't uh, beat around the bush. We can't just be joking about things. We can't just talk about things here and there. But because of the circumstances, because of the situation, we need to get down to business. We got to jump in, and there may be something critical that we need to talk about, a, a circumstance or a situation that we need to deal with. It may, it may be a matter of life and death, and so we say, man, we can't greet each other, we can't talk with each other, we just got to get down to business and talk about what's going on, cut straight to it. Well, today we're jumping into a new series uh, in the book of Galatians, and we're going to be spending basically the whole, from now through the whole summer, in this book, the book of Galatians, and what we're going to see as we jump into this today is that Paul, who's the author of this book, cuts to the chase, he jumps in to what he believes is a life and death matter, and he jumps in with people that he deeply, deeply cares for. He gets down to business because there's no time, in Paul's mind, for him to just be greeting them, just be talking with them, because this is a serious matter. Now, in thinking about preaching this book, preaching the book of Galatians, I decided to preach through this for a few different reasons, and as I was praying about it and just thinking about our church and where we were at and and what we've been preaching in, being in the Old Testament for a little while and and being in 1 Corinthians 15 for a little while, just felt like the Spirit was leading us to spend time in this book that Paul's written. But another reason, and part of it's tied into that, is because Galatians is about the gospel, and Galatians is about grace. And I want us as a church to really, truly understand the radical and scandalous nature of grace. And that's a word we talk about a lot. It's a word we maybe use a lot, both gospel and grace. But man, do we really, truly understand it? It's something we can always grow in. Whether we know Christ or we don't know Christ. Whether we've heard this a thousand times or maybe this morning's the first time you're going to hear it. But no matter where we're at on that spectrum, man, it's always good to come back and think about and dwell on grace. And so today my goal is simple as we begin this book. First is just to kind of set up the context of Galatians so that we understand kind of what's going to be happening, where Paul's going in this letter that he's writing But then in addition to that, my second goal is also simple. I want us to begin to stand in awe of grace. Just to begin to stand in awe of it. So I'm hopeful for what God will do in your life. I'm hopeful what he'll do in the life of this church as we spend time in this book. And I'm hopeful for what he'll do today as we begin. So before we jump into Galatians, let's just pray and ask God to bless our time this morning and through the summer in this book. Father, we're grateful to be able to be together as your church today. We're thankful that we do not come and and gather together just to hang out, just to have fun with one another, but you've given us your word. And Lord, that's a gift to us to have your word that we can sit under, that can speak into our lives. And so this morning, as we open up the book of Galatians for the first time as a church, as we begin to walk through this book written so long ago, may it be just a a tool that you use by your Spirit in our hearts, in our lives now, 
that we see this isn't just something to think about that happened in the past. This is, has reality, has bearing in our lives right now. And so we pray, even this morning, as we begin to look at this, that you would encourage us this morning. Help us, Father, to begin to understand grace, how radical it is. And Lord, may that in, impact our lives, the way we think, the way we live, and everything that we do. And so we pray you'd be honored in this time this morning as we open up your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians. And we are going to begin in chapter 1, verse 1. Galatians is after 2 Corinthians, before Ephesians, if you're looking for it. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read through verse 9 this morning. And here is what... Paul, the author, says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. When Amy, my wife, and I were dating uh, in, in college, most of college, we were long distance some of that time. And so uh, there were not a lot of ways for us to communicate. This is, uh, this is a time when it was a kind of pre-cell phone. Like I had a cell phone, but it sat in the glove compartment of my car uh, in case I had an emergency, but you didn't actually like use it to talk to people on. Uh, this is pre-FaceTime, pre-Skype, and so we had instant messaging Lots of conversations. If my wife was here, she'd tell you that she, she fell in love with me over instant messaging. So you can take that for whatever it's worth. But um, instant messaging, emails, and then letter writing. We would actually, like, people actually do this. where They like, take a pen and put it to a piece of paper and handwrite a letter. And, and that was something we did, at, not all the time, but oftentimes we would write a letter and mail it to one another. I mean, I think there's a, there's a lost art of letter writing. We've gotten so used to texting that we're, we're, we're unfamiliar with what it even looks like for us to write a letter to someone. But for much of history, the main way that you communicated with someone that was at a distance from you was through writing a letter. And every time you or I write a letter, anyone writes a letter, there's always a particular person that you're writing to for a particular reason. It could be simple, something to say hello, or I love you, or I miss you. It could be to share some aspect of your life with someone. You could write a letter to your child, to your parents, to a friend, to a girlfriend or a boyfriend or someone you hope will be your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You're always thinking about, I'm writing to someone and there's a specific reason why I'm writing. Well, like much of the New Testament, Galatians is a letter. Which means that when we read the book of Galatians, we have to remember that it's written by a particular person to a particular group of people for a specific reason. And in these first few verses, we get a bit of that information. We see from the very beginning that the author of this letter is Paul. And he begins this letter like he does many of his other letters in the New Testament. He says, Paul, an apostle. Apostle is not just a churchy word. It has meaning to it. The word apostle means one who is sent. And Paul makes clear here that he was not made an apostle by or through man. This isn't some job that Paul decided that he was going to apply for after college and said, Apostle, that sounds good to me. I think I'll jump into that line of work. He didn't go to school to be an apostle. He doesn't have the qualifications in and of himself to be an apostle. He's made an apostle. He makes this point by Jesus Christ and God the Father. To be an apostle, it must be appointed by Jesus and the Father. And in the next two weeks, as we continue on in the book of Galatians, we'll see why that matters and how that came about as Paul shares his story with us. 
But what we can see from the beginning is that Paul was set apart and he was sent to bring the message of the gospel that saved him to those that God would save. And Paul's writing to these Galatian churches, a group of churches that Paul personally knows, churches that he helped start, that he helped plant by bringing the message of the gospel to them. And so he loves these people, he knows these people, he cares for these people. And in this short introduction in verses 1 through 5, Paul kind of preaches a mini-sermon. He, he starts off greeting the Galatians, and he, he, get, he, he preaches to them saying, grace and peace to you that comes from God the Father through Jesus. Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Earlier in the very beginning he said, Jesus who was raised from the dead by the Father. He starts to outline the basics of what we call the gospel. And he gives praise to the God who made it a reality. As Will mentioned Earlier, and as we read during our time of confession and assurance, we see the core content of the gospel that we looked at in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul reiterates that here. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Jesus rose from the dead and was seen. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus has done. And Paul says it's all according to the will of the Father. There's not a single thing that Jesus did or accomplished outside of the plan and purposes of God the Father. And so because of that, Paul gives praise. Glory be to God who saves forever and ever. Amen. But then we get to verse 6. We get to verse 6, and Paul jumps right into it. There's no thanksgiving. A lot of his letters, Paul gives thanks. I praise God for you. There's no thanksgiving. There's no encouragement. There's no small talk. Paul says, Galatian people, I am astonished. I mean, this is strong language. This is strong language. Paul's saying, I'm shocked. I'm dumbfounded. I'm flabbergasted over you. I mean, Paul's fired up here just to jump into this. These people he cares about, just to say from the very beginning, I am astonished. Now, what is he astonished by? He tells us because the Galatians have turned to a different gospel. We use the word gospel a lot. Maybe if you don't yet know Christ, you've heard the word gospel used before. And we, we hear it a lot. We read it a lot. Even in this text, Paul uses it a lot. The word gospel just by itself means good news. And so there can be many things that we would consider good news. A gospel is whatever we believe will bring about good in our lives or good in this world. It's what we believe will bring transformation. What we believe will bring wholeness to our life or purpose or meaning. What will actually bring us life. And if we believe in a God, a gospel is whatever we believe will make us right with God. And so there can be many things that we say are gospels. But the reality is, and what Paul is trying to communicate in this letter, is that while there are many so-called Gospels, there's only one true Gospel. See, Paul is reminding them of the Gospel that he preached to them. He's reminding the Galatians of the Gospel that they received and are now turning away from. And notice he says they're doing it quickly. They're doing it quickly. That's part of the reason Paul's astonished. He's thinking, ah, I wasn't with you that long ago. You haven't really believed this for that long, yet you're so quickly turning away. You're so quickly deserting this. You came to know Christ in His grace, but now you're abandoning it for something else. But notice what Paul says. That when and how they turn away to a different gospel isn't just about rejecting the gospel. It isn't just about turning away from the gospel and abandoning it. They are deserting the God who called them in the grace of Christ. See, anytime anyone turns away from the one true gospel, they turn away from the one true God. They turn away from the one true God and they reject, reject the grace that he gives Something even just from this first point, just from these first few verses, we can see that the truth that we cannot know God. We cannot know the one true God. We cannot be in relationship with him apart from the one true gospel. See, when the Galatians start to turn away from the gospel, it's like having the only medicine that can bring healing to you. The only medicine that can bring life to you and deciding, you know what, I think I'm going to try something else. 
I'm going to go try another medicine, another means to bring healing to my life, but knowing that that can't actually do anything. It's only the one true medicine that will work. And so this is why Paul says, I'm astonished. Why would you turn away to something else? They're turning to something else for salvation, for life. Because, as he says in verse 7, though, the, the reason he's astonished by that is because there isn't another gospel. See, the gospel that Paul has preached and the Galatians have received is the only remedy for all of humanity. And listen, we aren't simply sick. The Bible says we are dead in our sin. We're dead in our sin. This is why this is a big deal. This is why Paul is so astonished. It's why he's writing this letter. See, when the gospel is at stake, Paul goes hard because it's a matter of life and death. This is not some inconsequential thing. It's not just about, well, I believe this and you believe that. No, Paul sees this as a matter of life and death for these people. And that's true for them and it's true for us. So we have to ask the question, why are the Galatians turning away? Why are they turning away to a different gospel? The reason is, is because someone has come to preach a different gospel. In verse 7, we see again that he says, There is no other gospel, but there are some who trouble you, who want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, a group of people professing to truly know Christ have come into these Galatian churches. And they're sharing a new message with them. And it sounded familiar to them, but they added something to it. They would have come in and preached to the people that Jesus, yes, he did and die, and did indeed die for their sin and was buried and rose again from the dead. That they would have preached that the people have to have faith to receive the gift of grace given by God through Christ. They would have preached that Christ was the way to salvation and eternal life, but then they add something to it. And that's where the danger is. See, a false gospel is created anytime anyone adds anything or takes anything away from what is the one true gospel. Anytime anyone adds anything or subtracts from what the gospel is, it creates a false gospel. And the one true gospel that Paul has preached, that the Bible is full of, is that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone who he is and what he's done and nothing else that will enable you and I and anyone in all of humanity to be reconciled to God now and forever. It's a, it's a simple equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals life. It equals forgiveness. It equals acceptance. It's what we call the gospel of grace. Jesus plus nothing. So this group of people that's come into the, church, uh, the churches in, in Galatia are, are what we call Judaizers. They're Jewish converts to Christianity. And the false gospel that they were teaching was that to truly know God, to truly be in relationship with him, yes, they had to accept Jesus. They had to trust in Jesus. If they want to be accepted by God, they have to trust in Christ and what he's d- done. But they also had to follow the law. They also had to follow the law. The men had to be circumcised. They essentially were teaching you have to become Jewish before you can actually know God. And so for them, the equation was Jesus plus something equals life and forgiveness and acceptance. So to the Galatians, it sounded right. It was similar to what Paul had taught them, but there's just a little more added to it. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more that you have to do. Just a few things that you need to do to be accepted by God. See, the Judaizers were not preaching a whole new gospel. They didn't come in and start talking about some crazy stuff that nobody had ever heard of before. They were using the same language, talking about the same kinds of things, but as Paul says, they are troubling them because they're distorting the one true gospel. And that's where the danger comes. As one pastor writes, he says, The church's greatest danger is not the anti-gospel outside of the church, it's the counterfeit gospel inside the church. It's not, it's not the, the anti-gospel that we can obviously recognize and, and reject as not being true that's outside the church. It's the counterfeit gospel that exists within the church. And it's this counterfeit gospel that's caused confusion in these churches. And that's what Paul is so fired up about. He's so fired up about it. I mean, look what he says in verses 8 and 9. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, if this might happen, Paul says, if they should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is currently preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Anyone who preaches a false gospel is to be accursed. Now that's not a word we use very often. What does it mean to be accursed? When Paul uses this word, a curse, what he's saying is, is they should bear the wrath of God. They should experience the wrath of God. Essentially what Paul's saying is they should go to hell for preaching a false gospel. And the reason for that is not because Paul's just trying to be harsh. It's not just because he's fired up. It's because Paul knows when we add anything to the gospel, when we subtract anything from the gospel, it nullifies what the gospel actually does. And if the gospel's nullified... If it's invalid anymore, then that means that you're condemned and I'm condemned. See, it's only the one true gospel that brings life. Everything else brings death. So Paul says, if you preach a convoluted message of death, that will be your end. If that's what you preach, that will be your end. But there's something really important we need to understand here that we need to pick up on that that, that Paul says here. And I think it'll be helpful to us as we live in this world where there's all kinds of different things coming at us, whether we turn on the, the radio station, and maybe it's a, a sermon on the radio station, or if you listen to the radio anymore, or a podcast, or, or whatever, or a book somebody hands you. It's just all these different inputs of information that we have to sift through. And we can think, well, somebody has a big church. Somebody has a lot of following. They sell a lot of books. That must validate the message. But what Paul's saying here is this. The messenger does not validate the message. The message validates the messenger. The messenger, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how your resume looks. It doesn't matter how great of a communicator you are. That's not what validates what you're saying. What validates what you're saying when it comes to us and God is the message. So Paul says, look, if I come back to you, Galatians, if I come back to you and I start preaching something different than I preached to you before, then I should be accursed. That's how serious he is about this. He says, look, if an angel shows up right here in Frost Middle School in this cafeteria and says, wait, there's more. There's more to it. I know you believed in Jesus, but let me tell you about other things that you need to do. It's so exciting. You need to experience all these things. We can stand up and we can say, no, invalid, not true, because that's not the gospel we've received. That's not the gospel of grace, that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is how you and I can know the living God. That's the gospel the Galatians have heard. That's the gospel that the Galatians have received. And so Paul is writing this letter to them, begging them, pleading with them to not turn to another gospel that is no gospel at all. See, the situation of the Galatians is not very different than what we face today. Because there are false gospels all around us, both inside and outside of the church. And all of us, whether we know Jesus and we know Christ, we profess that or we don't, are prone to wander toward believing that in them we will find joy. In them we'll find peace and happiness and contentment. That in them we'll find a closeness with God or acceptance from God. And in them we'll find life. And sometimes these false gospels are just outright devoid of Jesus. And maybe we can recognize them. But oftentimes, oftentimes they're Jesus plus something. And we could spend all afternoon talking about all the different ways that we can see false gospels that exist around us. But I just want to throw out a few for us this morning. There's the political gospel. Whether you're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. That you believe, yes, I I may acknowledge Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but I find hope and acceptance in this life and and my security and my comfort in my politics and what my political party is doing, that that's where salvation is actually lying for me, is in what my favorite politician is advancing, what my politics say this world needs. There's the gospel of riches that says that Jesus is good for salvation someday, But man, what I need right now is more things. That's where my security is found. If my retirement account is going well, man, I feel good. If it's not, I don't. 
Or on the flip side of that, you can hear messages that says Jesus wants to save you, but Jesus, what Jesus really wants to do right now is hook you up. He wants to hook you up if you've got faith with more things. Jesus is here to bless you with the riches of this world. It's the gospel of riches. It's the gospel of happiness. That we believe what God ultimately wants for us and what we should be focused on in this life is being happy. And God just wants you to be happy. He just wants your happiness. And so we make decisions and do different things. And we may acknowledge Jesus, but then we pursue the things of this world to find our happiness. There's the gospel of relationships. Where we can believe, whether it's a friendship or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or the desire to have a husband or a wife, that that's where contentment is found. That, that I'll be complete when I have those things. Jesus is good, but I need a little something else to find life, to find acceptance, to be happy in life. There's a gospel of religion that says by doing religious things, believing religious things, by doing those kinds of things, and that can be both Christianity and other religions of the world, that by just going through religious motions, that that's how I get acceptance with my God. There's a gospel of performance, that what I do, how I parent my kids, how I perform at work, how I perform in school, that that's where my acceptance is found. Now, I can give a head nod to Jesus and all of that, but man, if I don't do well or I do great, that that's where my acceptance is found in my performance. There's the gospel of good works. Man, if I'm a good person doing good things, more good things than bad things in this world, then surely God will accept me. That that I'll have favor and blessing from God by doing these things and being a good citizen in my community. And then there's the gospel of self. that says, man, I I, am my own Lord. I want to live for me. I want to do me and get mine. That's where my satisfaction is found. That's where acceptance in life is found. I don't need anything else except me. But see, all these gospels ultimately fall into a category of either being toothless There's no power in them. The gospel we've been looking at, the one that we've looked at in 1 Corinthians, is the gospel that raises dead men and women from life. I mean, from death to life. That raises them from the dead to life. But all these, these are power. They're toothless gospels, but also they can be a burdensome gospel. A gospel that will completely crush you. And the reason that they're either toothless or they're burdensome is because they're self-made. They're boutique gospels that we've kind of crafted and tweaked the way that we want them to, nice and neat and packaged, something we can wrap our mind around and understand. But in the end, they only lead to death, not life. But see, I think the deeper question we have to ask ourselves this morning that the Galatians need to ask themselves is, why are you and I tempted to turn to these false gospels when we have the one true gospel? I think there's a reason for that. It's because that you and I can believe that the gospel of grace that comes in and through Jesus and Jesus alone is either limiting or lacking. It's limiting or lacking. When we believe the gospel is limiting, we believe that what Jesus has done for us is actually oppressive and suppressive to us. Believing the gospel of grace means that we believe that Jesus is Lord and we don't like that idea. We believe, man, if I, have to, if I accept this gospel as it's preached in God's word, then that's going to that's gonna limit me because we want to be free. And the gospel of grace takes that away. It takes away our freedom. It takes away our independence So we, when we believe it's limiting. So we can either outright reject grace. We can give a head nod to Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. And then we can go on and just seek to grab the things of this world to find our freedom and our blessing in the experiences of this world. When we believe the gospel of grace is limiting, we quickly turn to a different gospel. But we can also believe the gospel is lacking. And when we believe the gospel is lacking, we don't believe that Jesus has done enough for us. He's done some good things for us. He's done some great things for us, but it's not enough. And so if we feel the need to supplement, to add a little something else in, we're not getting enough of the nourishment that we need, enough of what we need, and so we either do something more or we think we need something more to get us what we want in this life and the life to come. So we add something to it. We, we can add extra rules. We can lay on extra burdens of things that we have to do. Or we can seek out the things the world has to offer to us to satisfy our souls. 
See, when we believe the gospel of grace is lacking, we quickly turn to a different gospel. That's what the Galatians were doing. They believed the gospel they'd received was lacking. And so they needed to add something to it. In their instance, it was religious duties and performance, saying Jesus wasn't enough. Grace wasn't enough for me. I need to do something else. And I would guess that for most of us, if we're going to err on the side of believing that it's either limiting or lacking, most of us, not all of us, but most of us are going to fall into that category. I need to add something to this because grace is not enough for me. That's what's been the case for me. I can think, well, yes, I believe in Jesus, and and I can share the gospel with you, but there are days the functional belief of my life sometimes is that I need to do something else to earn favor with God. I need to do something else. For God to love me, to continue to love me. If I don't preach a good sermon, does God love me less? If I preach a great sermon, does God love me more? That's adding something to the gospel. That's not resting in grace. So I wrestle with that at different times. Believing that I am what I do, not whose I am. So we can all misunderstand grace. We can all misunderstand the gospel. And it can happen both in the positive or the negative. We can believe things like if my kids don't turn out right, God will favor me more or less in that instance. If I don't do enough for God, if I don't do enough for him, he's going to love me less, favor me less. If I sin too much, God will turn away from me. If I fail, God will turn his back on me. He won't favor me. He won't love me. We can flip it on the positive side. If I read my Bible more, God will favor me. If I do more for God, if I serve him more, then he'll bless me more. How about this one? If I sin less, God will love me more. Do you believe that? Man, if I sin less, that that's where blessing comes from. That's where God's favor comes from. Because see, the reality is that sounds a whole whole lot more like karma than it does grace. that I have to do something. It's about what I do or I don't do that allows me to be in relationship with God. See, when you and I believe that the gospel of grace is either limiting or lacking, I think one of the chief reasons is is because we don't truly understand our situation and we don't truly understand what God has actually done for us. Maybe it's because we don't truly understand grace. Look back with me at verses 3 through 4 again. Paul says this, grace is, to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. See, people oftentimes think that Jesus was just a good teacher and that Christians are people who follow the teachings of Jesus just like someone could follow the teachings of the Buddha or Confucius. But notice, Paul doesn't say anything about Jesus' teaching here. He doesn't say anything about Jesus' teaching at all. What he mentions is Jesus' rescuing through his death and through his resurrection. He says that Jesus delivers us from the present evil age, which means that if we need to be delivered from something, then we're captive to something. We're captive to something. And we're all captive because in the depth of our heart, we believe that we are self-sufficient lords and rulers of our own lives. We can echo the sentiment of the last line of the famous poem Invictus, which says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, we may not be some megalomaniac dictator who wants to take over the whole world, but we are all tyrants in our small little kingdoms where what we say goes. But instead of being free in our own little man-made kingdoms, we actually are captive to the kingdom of darkness. What we thought was freedom was actually rebellion against God. Because see, you and I were never meant to be on our own. We're never meant to be on our own. But when we rebelled, what we were essentially saying to the God of all creation is, I don't need you. I don't need you. That's what we call sin. And now we are in a prison of our own making and we've never had the keys to get out on our own. See, the Bible says that we're all lost. We're all dead. We're all in 
darkness. That is the effect of sin in all of us. And sin is a ravenous sickness that affects us from head to toe, inside and out. It affects our minds, our thoughts, our will, our emotions. Not a single part of who we are is left unscathed by it. But see, lost people and dead people don't need teaching on moral living. They don't need more money or more things. They don't need more self-help techniques or coping mechanisms. They need rescue and resuscitation to life. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us to his kingdom where we would no longer be lost and dead. We would be found and alive. And that's grace to us. Paul says there is no other gospel because nothing else ultimately deals with our sin, which has separated us from God. But here's the deal, and here's what we have to get this morning is this, that you and I didn't ask to be rescued. But God planned it, and that's grace. And you and I didn't do anything to deserve rescue, but God accomplished it, and that's grace. See, all of us deserve death for our sin in our our personal kingdom building, but Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. And God the Father accepted his payment for sin when he raised Jesus from the dead. That is grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. It's getting what you do not deserve. And in and through Christ, he, he doesn't simply look over our sin. He doesn't simply ignore our sin. He deals with our sin. And he removes it from us. And he gives us something better. He gives us life. And he gives us, gives us Jesus' perfect life. But the perfect obedience that Christ had, he now gives to you that that's counted towards you. That is Grace. He pays our debt, and then he gives us the unending, unfathomable riches of the kingdom of God. That is grace. He, not you, not me, he removes the shackles. He removes the leg irons. He removes the neck irons. He removes the filthy clothes and takes us out of that dank, dark, damp jail cell that we've been in, and he places us in his kingdom. But get this, it's not as an outsider It's not someone who's just allowed a little bit on the inside. He welcomes you and brings you into his kingdom as his son and as his daughter. That is grace to you. It's because of grace that we're able to have that relationship. And it's grace because we don't deserve it. It's grace because we can't accomplish it. But see, when you and I believe that the gospel is lacking... And we try to add to it the reason oftentimes is because we love to be our own saviors. Man, this this, this culture that we live in, oftentimes in northern Virginia, whether it's in, in academics, whether you're in college right now or you're in the workplace, loves to champion those who make it on their own. But grace humbles you because it tells you you can't. You can't. You can't save yourself. The grace of the gospel is that God calls you and then you follow him. You don't start following God, start bringing something to God, and then he accepts you. And when we believe the gospel is limiting, we can seek out freedom somewhere else in this world, but grace humbles us when we recognize that we are captives and grace alone is what sets us free and gives us true freedom. Listen, you are hopeless You're hopeless, but God saves you on the basis of his grace alone, through Christ alone. And in saving you, he gives you far more, far more than anything that your heart can run after. He gives you far more than anything this world can promise you for satisfaction and salvation. And that's God's grace to you. See, the only good news is that God has made a way in and through Christ for true, lasting freedom and peace. Grace and grace alone are what allow us, enable us to be reconciled to God, and it requires nothing from you. It requires nothing from you. There's nothing you have to do, and there's nothing that you can do. Listen, I think sometimes we can believe that part, right? But we, we can understand, okay, yes, I have to by faith believe that Jesus saved me from my sin, but now that that's done, I need to move on. But listen to me this morning. What Paul is trying to communicate is this, that 
Nothing is required of you. Nothing, there's nothing that you can do at the beginning. Nothing in the middle. And nothing at the end. It's Jesus plus nothing. And it equals everything. See, God saves you on the basis of his grace, giving sinners like you and like me what we absolutely did not deserve, do not deserve, and never will deserve so that we might be forgiven and set free, that we might be made new, that we might be accepted now and forever. When Paul says at the beginning of this letter, grace to you and peace from God and Jesus Christ who Gave himself for your sins. Man, that's not just a greeting. It's not just a greeting. It has radical significance, radical meaning, because it means that no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do or not do, that God accepts you and calls you son and calls you daughter on the basis of what Christ has done for you. And that is grace. And grace is radical, and it's generous, and it's outrageous, and it's scandalous, and it's unchanging. It's all-sufficient. It's unrelenting. It's effective and eternal and efficient and everlasting. It's not too small. It's ever-expanding. It's never-limiting, and it's never-lacking. See, Sojourn, from the world's perspective, you can have absolutely nothing, but in Christ you have everything. That's what Galatians is about. That's what we're going to spend the summer looking at. And in Christ, you have everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You and I, I think, are prone to follow and trust in a false gospel because we can't handle grace. It's too much for us. It's, it's too much for us. I mean, I've been there before. I think I've shared this before when we went to, uh, to, to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, just the church there. God was doing something in my life, helping me to understand grace more. I saw the cross, but I thought, man, sometimes I think just functionally there's like kind of a fence around it. That I needed to do something more to get closer to God. That God would love me more, that he would show me more favor if I did something. I, I began to understand that more there and understand grace. But even just recently, I've realized, man, I, I still need to grow in my understanding of grace. I still need to to try and wrap my mind around it. I still need to rest in it and soak in it because I don't understand it when I live my life as if I need to do something to earn God's favor. Man, do you believe that grace is outrageous? Is it? Is it outrageous to you? Is grace scandalous to you? Is it unmanageable for you? Does grace make you uncomfortable at times? Does grace seem too good to be true? See, in some ways, grace is incomprehensible because grace is not of this world. See, every analogy I was trying to think about, about how can we explain grace, and you've probably heard lots of different analogies of going into the court and being forgiven and the judge doing different things and all this stuff, and I just kept thinking, man, all of these fall short. All of them fall short because we can understand them. But grace is not something that we can really comprehend. We can't totally wrap our minds around it. Every analogy we try to use to understand it, to explain it, to to try and, and, and figure out what it really is, they all fail because nothing in this world even comes close to the immensity of God's free grace to you because it comes in and through Jesus. Did you know that it's going to take an eternity for you to understand grace? An eternity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says this, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's rehearsing the reality of our lives, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So he's explaining the gospel to us again. You were dead, God made you alive in Christ, not because of anything you did, only because of what he did for you. It's grace, it's by grace that you've been saved. And then he goes on to say this, and he raised us up with him. He raised us up with Jesus. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then catch this, the end of verse 7, Ephesians chapter 2. Write this down. Go back and read it. This is what he says. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. In the coming ages, for all eternity, He's going to unpack the immeasurable riches of his grace. How do you measure something unmeasurable? How do you comprehend something incomprehensible? You take an eternity to dive into it. 
an eternity to dive into. When Christ returns, when he returns and the new heavens and the new earth come and, and you and I are in the new city and we see our God and our Savior face to face and there's no more sickness, there's no more sin, there's no more death, there's no more decay and a hundred thousand years go by, we're just scratching the surface. When a million years go by in the new city, when we're with our God, we still will have more to understand about his grace. That's how big grace is. That's how amazing grace is. It's outrageous. It's scandalous. It's insane. It's going to take all eternity for us to wrap our minds around it. I said at the beginning of my goal today was simple, to set up the context of Galatians and for us to begin to begin to stand in awe of grace. And man, I hope that today that we are beginning to do that. Whether you've known Christ for many, many years, or you're just now hearing about this for the first time, may we begin to understand that grace. And so to end our time today, I just want to call you to one simple thing, sojourn, and it's this, return to grace. Return to grace. See, if you and I do not keep the gospel of grace at the center of what this church is, of this community, if we don't keep the gospel of God's grace at the center of our lives, it'll be pushed aside and something else will take its place. Another gospel, which is no gospel at all. But when we return to grace, we are remembering and resting in the fact that we did nothing to earn God's favor and we can do nothing to keep God's favor Listen to me, if you know Christ, God did not save you because of anything you had done, will, or won't do. And do you believe that? Do you really believe that? When you and I experience any level of condemnation in our life, any level of condemnation, if we know Christ, we know that that's not true. We know that we're not believing the one true gospel in that moment because the one true gospel says there is no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ, period. Period. Listen, you will get burnt out on a graceless gospel. You'll get burnt out on a graceless gospel. And that makes sense because it's a whole lot of hard work to try and justify yourself. It's a never-ending job. But the gospel of grace reminds you that there isn't something for you to do. It's what Christ has done. And that's for all of life. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, has famously said this, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A to Z. It's the A to Z. We never move on to something else. We never move past our need to reflect in and rest in and return to grace. And so maybe this morning you've really jacked up your life. I I don't know, in some different way, you've really messed things up in your life right now, but my encouragement to you this morning is to go back to where life begins, return to grace. Return to grace. Maybe for others of you, life is going pretty good right now. Things are going well. You're feeling pretty self-sufficient. My encouragement is the same for you this morning. Go back to where life begins. Return to grace. Right now, return to grace. Listen, maybe you fought with your husband or your wife or your kids on the way to gather with the church this morning. Return to grace. Return to grace in that. On Wednesday afternoon or Friday night this week, return to grace. When you've slacked off in school or you've gotten straight A's, return to grace. When you've lost your patience with your kids, return to grace. When you've received a bonus or a promotion at work, return to grace. When you've sinned again in the same way for what seems like the thousandth time, return to grace. Because God's favor on your life, God's love for you is never based on your performance. It's based on his grace. When you truly trust in Christ, when you trust in Christ alone, grace is written large over your life. And God never comes by to erase it, never comes by to paint over it, never comes by to take it back. It's written large over your life forever and ever. So brother or sister, no matter what is going on in your life right now, whether good or bad, come home to grace. Maybe you've never heard this before. Or maybe you've heard about Jesus before, but you've never heard the gospel in this way. Or maybe today it's just hitting you in a different way. And you're saying, I want that. I need that. Is it true? Is it really possible? Man, if that's you, 
Know that it is possible and it is true and it's yours to take today by faith because all you need is absolutely nothing. All you need is need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so if that's you, jump in to God's pool of grace today and soak in it. Soak in it. Sojourn, let's help one another return to grace. It starts with grace, it ends with grace, and it's grace upon grace upon grace, all in the middle. Man, may God's word refresh you this morning and wash over your soul today. As you go home this week, would you meditate on the riches of his grace? Let's speak it to one another every day and let's sing about it together now. Sojourn, Galatians is about grace and Galatians is about the gospel. And that's what I want this church to be about too. So as we come to the table this morning, we are going to participate in a meal of grace. The bread is a picture of Christ's body given for us. The cup is a picture of Christ's blood shed for us. It's a meal that reminds us of the great cost of grace. But it's also a meal that's a means of grace. And what I mean by that is it's a meal that encourages our hearts. It helps us to return to grace. Because every time we drink the cup, every time we eat the bread, we are proclaiming to one another and we're proclaiming to ourselves that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We're proclaiming how outrageous and how scandalous grace is. We're proclaiming how desperate we are for grace right now. So no matter how things have been going in your life this week, whether good or bad, high or low, whether you feel particularly close to God or distant from him, let me encourage you this morning, come quickly to the table. Come quickly to the table that you might be refreshed in and reminded of God's grace to you in the gospel. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would ask you not to come forward to take of this meal because this meal doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. This is a celebration, is a proclamation of our desperate need for grace. And so if you haven't yet trusted in Christ, we want you to take Jesus this morning. We want you to take his grace this morning. So hang out in your seat and pray. Ask God to save you. Ask him to give you faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And he came to do what he said he came to do. And he'll come again for you. If you have questions about what it means to know Christ, please come talk to me afterwards or any of our other leaders. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you understand what it looks like to start to understand grace. For those of you that will come forward, you can either come forward to these two tables in the front. There's also two in the back. And tear off a piece of bread. Take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. For the book of Galatians, that even though it's a, a book that's written to a specific church about some false teachers preaching a false gospel, that it hits close to home because there's so many false gospels around us now, both inside and outside of the church. And so I pray that as we walk through this book, that we would always come back to and return to the grace of the gospel that Paul talks about over and over and over again. And we need to be reminded of it over and over and over again. Father, help us to begin to understand the immensity of your grace. When we think we've figured it out, would you press on us again that there's more to discover, there's more to think about, there's more to grow in our understanding of grace. And would you help one another to do that? And as we celebrate communion now, I pray you'd refresh our souls. As we sing the songs we're going to sing, may we celebrate the goodness of who you are and all the grace that you have poured out and continue to pour out in and through Christ and what he and he alone has done for us. We praise you, Father. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.